Welcome to the LBCM podcast, the official podcast of Logos Baptist Church Mississauga, hosted by Enoch and Emily. In this podcast, we tackle your burning questions about faith, Christianity, and the Bible. Let's get started. Welcome back to the LBCM podcast. We are currently on episode seven, and we've got a really, really special topic to talk about today. But before we get into that, Enoch, how are you doing? I'm good. Danny, <laughs> how are you doing? Oh, wait. Oh, Danny's not here. That's all right. He's, he's taking a break. He's taking a vacation day. Mm-hmm. So no worries yes, here. So but... we've got a two host podcast today. Um, as you can tell by me trying to fill up time. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so if you're a fan of Danny, sorry to disappoint. Because <laughs> he's but not don't here leave. today. But don't leave. Because we got a great because, topic. Because if you're a fan of the gospel, oh! you're in for a real treat today. <laughs> there we go. So there you have it, folks. Our topic today is going to be what is the gospel? Which is, wow, just a great topic. Obviously, this is a very important topic to be talking about. And in some ways, it's really easy to talk about because it's really, really straightforward. And then also in other ways, it's very hard to talk about because there is so much about the gospel that we could dive into. I'm sure there's going to be multiple times today where, um, you know, we we touch on something maybe and then we say, okay, like we might we might follow up with this topic in another podcast episode. Um, But yeah, hopefully our aim today is just to talk about, you know, the very basic principles, the very basic tenets of the gospel so that anyone listening might just have an idea of what it is, especially if you've never even heard of the gospel before. So that's our hope for today. Yeah. And I think as we go along, uh, we've listed out five main points that encapsulate what the gospel means at its core. And we know that there are going to be a lot of side tangents that we can move uh, into, which we will avoid because for the sake of time, and we don't want to get into long academic tangents where, you know, we stray away from the central topic that we're talking about today. So that's uh, what we're going to be doing. So we have got five points here that we have. But first off, the definition of the gospel in itself directly translates to the good news. And if you are a churchgoer or if you are a Christian for a long time or if you are familiar with the gospel, this is probably what you've heard before. And our purpose really is to lay out our beliefs so that listeners, whether you are Christian or non-Christian, can just understand what we believe in. So this is not a pod also where we're trying to convince people. We've said this before in the past. Again, our podcasts are never to like, like the sole purpose is never to convince anybody. It's just to uh, profess our faith and to share it to to you guys, whoever it is that is listening, uh, whether you know us or not. Exactly. And I mean, the that translation of, of the gospel into good news, like that's why people are always trying to spread the gospel, trying to share it with others, because I mean, if it's good news, then why not talk about it? Why not share it with people? And so today we're going to be talking about why it's good news. Hopefully we'll get into that. There's also various ways, you know, that people go about 
sharing the gospel, talking about it. And most of the time, people will focus on the main four books of the Bible that talk about the gospel, uh, namely Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But for our purposes today, I think Enoch and I are trying to really give a more fulsome view of the Bible, starting from you know, the very beginning, starting from creation. So instead of just focusing on the main four books, we will be using a model that draws from various areas of the Bible and its entirety. So just a heads up, there are various ways to go about it, but this is the one we've decided to go with today. Yeah, so basically the five points that we have here are the creation, fall of man, life of Jesus, death and resurrection, and the last one being the second coming of Christ. So uh, to start us off, creation being the first point. So basically for us to exist, there had to be a creator uh, in God. And we're not here to debate or argue the theology behind creation. Again, that's mm -hmm. one of those tangents where, of course, a lot of people may have questions about, but that's a subject for another top or a topic for another day. Uh, we'll definitely do another podcast on that uh, in the near future. But essentially, if you're a Christian, of course, you have to believe that it is God who had created us. Something put us on this earth. Like It wasn't mm -hmm. just due to natural random molecules combusting over time, over, you know, however many tri trillion of years. Just randomly. Similar chance, to, right? yeah, similar to how things are created nowadays. Like, for example, behind a house, there is always an architect or a builder. Mm -hmm. So something with a mind outside of the realm of our time and space create us from the very beginning. And we know that God is omnipresent. So that means he sees all things and knows all things. Otherwise, we like if he doesn't, then we're just we have faith in the God that is limited, which would be not true. And there's a I think there's a variety of reasons why it's a good idea to to include creation in these phases of you know sharing the gospel because i think it it really establishes a few things like a few things that you mentioned already god is sovereign he is the creator he came first right like there was never really anything that created god he is all good all perfect omnipowerful omniscient and so this is kind of what needs to be established before we talk about you know everything else like the fall of man and Jesus's life and his work on the cross that God came first before anything that you know he didn't need humans it wasn't like he was lonely in the universe so he created the earth or he created us like he's not dependent on us and also he speaks to us when he created Adam you know he spoke directly to him face to face and they had that perfect connection right it was really everything was in harmony really like there was no disconnect between mankind and between god and that was the state of things when everything was first created so i think that's one of the most important parts to establish as a starting point for telling the gospel and where things kind of turned and went downhill from there yeah and i know you know, just going back to the good news point, like maybe some of you would be asking, well, what is good? Like, what does that term mean in this specific scenario? If there is good in this world and if there's good and evil, there must be a good giver and there must be a standard to which we can relate the word or the term good with or the term perfect with. It's like, what mm. is perfect? What is good? Um, so again, it is God who creates that standard, not humankind. So Again, that's like, you know, theor moral theories, that's, that's another topic for another day. But bottom line is, 
God created us and uh, God created Adam and Eve in his own image, sinless, and for the purpose of having this relationship with him um, and having the free will to love him. And so that leads to our second point, which is the fall of humanity. And when we say the fall, we mean falling into sin. And as you guys are probably familiar with the story, whether you are a believer or not, in the Garden of Eden, one day Satan disguised as a serpent tempts Eve into eating the fruit that they're told not to eat. And then Adam does the same thing. So in a way, they dis they disobey God, not just because of the fact that they ate the fruit, but for a moment there, that choice in itself resembled the fact that for a moment, they did prioritize their own desires over their love for God because the serpent had promised them that they would be just exactly like God. They would be God themselves if, if they ate the fruit. I think in chat, it was in episode one, we talked about mm -hmm. uh, us not being like, we're not robots. Like we have the decision to choose what to do. So Adam and Eve chose to sin and disobey and therefore to put their own desires over loving God in obedience. And as a result, God curses them. And that's the original sin. Uh, that's, that's the term that Christians would put it, the original sin. Uh, and because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, everyone that has come after that has inherited this tainted nature of sin that we struggle with. And you can see as you read through the Old Testament that after Adam and Eve, there came Cain and Abel, and then so on and so forth. And sin just runs rampant and it gets worse and worse to the point where, you know, by the time we get to Noah, sin is almost celebrated by a lot of people and sin has created this separation between us and God. And I'll turn to Isaiah chapter 59 verse two, which reads, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so we have this separation now with between us and God. Like we're not in fellowship with him as, as we were originally created to be. So it, like mm -hmm. this, is not like this wasn't part of the original created order uh, and on top of that we know the consequences of our sin is death so that was part of the curse that god put on adam and as we know for instance in romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death so not only that but we are now vulnerable to death and we we no longer belong eternally to god because of sin right no i think you you basically said everything like yeah that's pretty much it i mean and people might say like oh but it was just an apple like like they just ate no an it apple. wasn't an what's apple the, it, oh, was sorry, fruit, it was just the fruit Emily. like like what's the big deal you know but it's not really about that it's the fact that Upon creation, everything was perfect. Everything was good according to God's perfect order. But because of mankind and womankind's free will and um, their vulnerability to temptation and their ultimate rebellion, that was what caused the fall of man, quote unquote, that we're talking about. And so we went from this perfect orderly state of things to suddenly... Yeah, as you said, ha like a disconnect, a separation from God. And 
that thing, that separation has to be reconciled somehow. Um, And that's what we're going to be talking about soon. But that's kind of, you know, the higher level um, idea of what happens. And as you said, this is what's referred to as original sin, such that everything else after it, including us, because we're coming after (laughs) after original sin everything from humankind is now tainted essentially and so i mean in the bible jesus says there is no good thing that can come from flesh anything that is of this world of mankind of humans can do no good thing in the sight of god humans may have the capacity to I don't know, be kind to one another, love each other, do great things, you know, be really innovative. But without the spirit or without God, those things have real, no, no real moral value in the eyes of God there. And so that's why that's, I guess, the core problem, right? Like the good news is that there has been a solution to this problem, but this is kind of where the problem originated. Yeah, it's where it stems from. And if you are wondering you know what is sin just so just in case right that's a good sin, good question to ask in hebrew and greek translates to to miss the mark or to miss the goal and what is the goal you may ask well we talked about god being the perfect being the good giver the one who created all of us so the goal really is to love god and to love others so in matthew 22 verse 34 to 40 the disciples ask jesus himself what is the greatest commandment? What is the one greatest commandment? And Jesus replies to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbors as well. So that is the model we should be living by. And if anything that doesn't align with that is considered sin, like no matter what your intentions are, like we know we we can do a lot of good deeds. Uh, a lot of people do a lot of good deeds, but what is your core intention it is is Christ at the center of that. So um, that's what sin is. Um, And it's almost like an impossible standard, right? To uphold all the time. Like knowing human nature, just knowing it, like just thinking about it logically, like who can really obtain, achieve that standard, right? So everybody sins on this planet. And it's almost like, okay, like where do we go from here? Because we all sin, we're all depraved and that has to be accounted for. Like, what are we going to do about it? And the worst part about it is probably a fact that in our own abilities and efforts, we still can't drag ourselves out of that situation, out of that state. Human nature is what it is. There is no amount of willpower or, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, I'm not going to sin anymore. Like, that's just not possible, you know, for anyone. And so you can see, hopefully, people can begin to see in more and more the desperate state of humanity and, like, why we need an external factor to help us out of that desperate situation. Yeah, and you see time and time again in the Old Testament, like, God gives the chance for humans and even the most most famous and faithful men and women uh, in the Old Testament have tried and tried and failed. Like you could talk about like from Abraham or from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to Solomon, all very faithful and humble examples that 
we should model, but also people who are very flawed. And um, if you think that the people in the Old Testament are so great, like just think twice about it because mm-hmm. the Bible very much highlights their inequities and their sinful nature. Like it doesn't hide any of that from us. So we are, yeah, I, I know that we may look at them as biblical role models as we should, but at the end of the day, even people like Abraham and David, they were unable to pull themselves out. They were unable to solve this issue of sin. And just uh, going back to the idea of the punishment, so the consequences of sin, you know, we talked about, I think a little bit in the first episode, uh, in the suffering episode, but we talked about, well, like, why why can't God just let us be? Like, why, why does he have to give us consequences for these things. You know, I I think a very good comparison always is that of a parent and a a child, um, because that's how we look to our Heavenly Father. Uh, And if you are a parent, of course, if you love them, you want to correct them when they're not doing something good. Like, so when they are misbehaving, you're not just going to say, oh yeah, you know, kids be kids. They'll just do whatever they want. It's fine. No consequences needed. I just want to keep them happy even when they're doing the wrong thing. And I think Timothy Keller put it, he had a quote in one of his books and uh, Emily will be a fan of this one because it's the meaning of marriage. <laughs> Which I haven't read, by the way. Yeah, in, in the context... The joke is that I'm going to read it. The context is, yeah, Emily's been trying to borrow that book from me for <laughs> who knows how long and she still hasn't gone around to it, but... There is a quote in it which says, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. So, that goes to show... Bars. (laughs) Bars. <laughs> and uh, since Danny's not here, I will steal his line. God loves us enough and so much so that he doesn't want to continue seeing us go down this path. And that will kind of lead us to the third point, which is, you know, how do we solve this mess? Like, so yes, the Bible tells us how we should live and teaches us about who God is, but ultimately, Above all else, it magnifies the glory of God through our own shortcomings and illustrates our need for him. So this is a good segue to our third point, which is the life of Jesus. So, you know, thousands of years gone by and humankind, they're still, we're still in this situation where we have sinned and like, there's no, there's no way out. Like we're still separated from God. Um, there's no reconciliation there's no reconciliation so so what do we do so if because if god is to destroy all evil if that's the only way to go about it then again we've talked about this before but then in that case he would destroy all of us because we are inherently evil and sinful and if you ask i think if you ask anybody whether they're a believer or not like just anybody on the street about good and evil i would probably guess that most people would agree that there is good and evil in this world and most likely at some point in their life they've done some bad things and how do we wrestle with that how do we reconcile that and third point is 
kind of our solution to this. Mm-hmm. It's the start of the solution. So life of Jesus, very famous Bible verse is John 3.16. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So kind of going back to a little bit earlier where we talked about God loving us so much that he doesn't want to keep us in this rut that we're in and this it's kind of like we're stuck in quicksand with sin like we try to we're trying to work so hard to get ourselves out and you know it's all for nothing because we're you we're utilizing our own strength so so god mm-hmm. sends his son down and i think the first point that is very much important is the virgin birth through the holy spirit uh, because right. if Sorry. the before we talk about the virgin birth though just talking about like the start right of the solution to this problem and how it starts with jesus and i mean when jesus came to earth like he talked so much about maybe like misconceptions that people had about the law and he talked also talked a lot about the future kingdom of heaven like if you read the bible and go through all the things that Jesus talked about, he really addressed so many things. And one of those things was this problem that we were having of this disconnect between humankind and God. And he says about it, what is needed for reconciliation is second birth, to be born again, for humans to be born again. And now on a first reading, that seems so absurd. Like how do we just stuff ourselves back into <laughs> where we came from. All right, from. let's not get graphic. And like, and like, be born again. Like, that's not, that's not possible in the natural sense of the word that humans might be thinking of. But Jesus means, Jesus means something different, but at the same time, something equally as radical. And so that's kind of, I guess, what we'll be talking about in the next few minutes like what it really means to be born again and how that is possible through christ and it all does start with jesus's entire life right like a lot of people will you know on easter sunday or easter or good friday focus on the work that was done on the cross and while that is a prime component of the gospel and you know some would say the climax but It really does start with the virgin birth. It includes Jesus's entire life. And all of that is necessary to really show the entire grandness of the gospel. So yeah, we'll go back to virgin birth now. I just wanted to add that. And that's why the four books are called the gospels. Ta-da. The end. (laughs) Um, The life of Christ. Yeah. So Matthew, Mm -hmm. Mark, Luke, and John, for those who are not familiar. But yes, uh, virgin birth through the Holy Spirit very much important because if he was born of a man then he would inherit the same sinful nature as the rest of us so uh, Jesus was born and he lived a sinless life he was 100% God 100% man and again we're not going to get into Trinity how does that happen of course there's answers to that but that's going to take another like two hours of our time and we're not here to dissect that question specifically but for sure Um, If you're asking that in your head, we will be addressing that in the near future. But two distinct but inseparable natures, God and man, so divine and human. And he came and lived the perfect sinless life. Jesus is noted many times as the son of man and the son of God throughout scripture. And Jesus did the things that God could do, such as 
living sinless, performing miracles, having the authority to forgive sins. So he does that many times throughout his ministry. And also on the other side, or the human side, he was born as a man in the flesh so that he could die for our sins. And what that means is just turning quickly to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 5. It reads, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So those under the law is us. <laughs> and we'll talk about the law <laughs> another time and <laughs> sin and what the law is meant to do. But basically, in layman's terms, God sent his son down to redeem us. And um, he also... You know, as you read through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus also displays the weaknesses and vulnerabilities that are common to us humans. So a very good example uh, and a prominent one would be the Garden of Gethsemane. So the night before he was put to death, you can feel like as you read it, like, you know, he's agonizing about the fact that he has to eventually face the cross for for us and he doesn't want to do it like he even asks god to like take this cup away from me if it be your will if you were in that situation you guys like if you you would do the exact same thing and how many times have nah. we done that where... <laughs> no nah, i'm not trying to die today lord <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we actually would have ran away like we wouldn't even yeah. have been so obedient and faithful but it just goes to show like throughout his life there were many instances where he did demonstrate the human level component whether it be emotion or just his behavior and his submission temptation. to temptation god temptation yeah in the desert so yeah fully god fully man yeah and the for the virgin birth like I, I mean it's all miraculous really every part of the virgin birth and then also the sinless life and why is it that a virgin birth is necessary for the son of man to come to this earth it's because you know as Enoch said he's not conceived of humans because if he were he would be subject to original sin but instead the son of God had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit instead using the virgin birth as or the virgin mother as like a vessel so he came to this earth conceived through the Holy Spirit that in and of itself is like miraculous there's just no it's it's a miracle there's no rational way to explain it other than to say it's the Spirit's doing um and then you know you said it like he was a hundred percent man a hundred percent God and that is kind of necessary because only the divine can help mankind out of its situation and only a man or a human can die to account for the sin of mankind so he had to be both and he could be both because he is god <laughs> so maybe from a high level it helps to look at it like that because when you really do dive into the weeds there's a lot more to unpack um, and then more than that there's also a huge amount of prophecies throughout Isaiah, for example, that speak to the virgin birth and also just other aspects of Jesus's life that he goes about fulfilling because as we've spoken to in previous episodes, God always fulfills his promises. And those include promises that were made throughout the Old Testament. Like 
I don't know how many years even before Jesus came to this earth. And he sometimes like, I just think it's funny, sometimes Jesus will do things in his life and then he'll be like, oh yeah, like all of this was to fulfill this prophecy. (laughs) Just like flexing the fact that his life is fulfilling like every prophecy out there that was truly from God, you know? (laughs) Like he's sitting at home, he's like, okay, which one did I fulfill today? (laughs) Chicks off the list. Just kidding. That's not how it works. It's all for like the glory of God, right? To show people like, hey, God has created all of these covenants and these promises with people with humankind throughout history the same humans who rebelled against him who turned their backs to him over and over again who chose to worship other things even though they had a loving all loving god who was taking care of them right who nailed his son to the cross like these same humans he made promises to and he kept it's like wow like we don't deserve that you know so i i I mean i it goes to show a lot of things but yeah, that's one thing that really st- st- sticks out to me often when I think about like, okay, what is the significance of his sinless life? What is the significance of his of the virgin birth? And then also, um, as you were talking about as well, like obedience, obedience to the point of death, because we're not ever gonna be able to do that, or at least very, very few people, very few people would die for their friend. <laughs> now imagine dying for the same people Again, who nails you to the cross, who rebels against you constantly, right? So it's an act of love, definitely, definitely. But it's also so much more than that. Uh, it's just a lot of things. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all. That's what I'll end off with. I think, uh, you know, quick note, a lot of people argue, you know, God being unjust and unfair. Well, the fact that, you know, Jesus still has mercy on us, despite our sinful nature, the fact that he had this unconditional love for us that in itself is unfair right if you ask me so anyways we're not talking about that today we're not we're gonna stick to the stay on course (laughs) i think we're doing pretty well to be honest Uh, like we've been on track for the most part we've been kind of on track but um what does uh so when we say dying for our sin um Mm. a lot of people will be i mean if you're not familiar with christianity you may be confused by that like what does dying for our sin mean so in the old testament when so we talked about a little bit earlier about the consequences of sin being death so if you sin your consequence is death so in the old testament god would allow believers to sacrifice animals to take their place so basically what you would do is uh, again this sounds crazy because it sounds archaic. You know, this was yeah, this sounds archaic. Is. But this is what happened. <laughs> you would confess your sin at the altar, and you would bring an anim- animal without blemish to the altar to sacrifice in your place. So that's right. how it's not like today where we can just pray and be like, God, please forgive me. Yeah. <laughs> I repent for my sins. Okay, in Jesus' name, Amen. So they had to right. go through all of this, and it was just a symbol of God's grace uh, upon those who believed in him and also it was a symbol of now they didn't know it yet but it was a symbol was of what was to come because jesus many times is referred to the lamb of god for instance like for example john the baptist says in first john 29 like behold the lamb of god jesus was not just a model representation of how we ought to live but he was the ultimate sacrifice that you know once and for all would 
Rain over sin, and that's uh, I guess that moves us into the death and resurrection. So point number four. But before mm-hmm. I do get into that, I do want to just turn also to First Peter, chapter two, verse twenty-two. You're not going off with the verses today. There are so many. Like I had to dwindle it down to a handful. And yo, Go we gotta make off. sure we get it right. Nobody tells the gospel better than God himself, okay? There we go. Exactly. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed so if that doesn't move you as a christian i don't know what to tell you but that leads us to the death and resurrection which is the fourth point that we have out of the five so jesus broke the power of death through his resurrection therefore claiming victory over sin and as we said before the wages of sin is death so this is good news because Jesus's death and resurrection resurrection bridges the gap now between us and God so that we no longer, you know, we're not going out there sacrificing animals anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not hunting to sacrifice our best uh, and most clean lamb and asking for forgiveness uh, because Jesus himself was the lamb who was slain for our sins. And he rose from the dead so that for those who do believe in him, that we too have the power to be transformed. And though we are still sinful in our nature, we know that through Christ, we have the power now to overcome sin and temptation and to approach him directly through prayer for forgiveness and to repent. And even after our physical death, we have eternity to look forward to because again, Christ has bridged that gap for us. And we can once again be in fellowship eternally with God. And I like, I think starting off with that analogy to the Old Testament was a really, is a really good idea because in the Old Testament, why do, why do people say that, you know, Jesus purchased us with his blood? Because in the Old Testament, when you are presenting a sacrifice, that sacrifice is the price that you pay in order to be once again, right in the sight of God. So when Jesus came and he came to deliver a whole new law in lieu of the old one, he took the place of that price that was paid. And he took the price that was supposed to be paid by all of mankind on the cross. So that's why people say, you know, through the work of the cross, through the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And then more than that, while on the cross, the temple, right? Like the veil of the temple was torn. Being, sim- being symbolic for the fact that we can now have access to God again. Just like how Adam and Eve had direct access to God in the Garden of Eden. Now, of course, there is still original sin. And we'll talk about that when we're talking about second coming and future hope. Um, because we are kind of still in that weird balance between Jesus's first coming and then second coming. Wherein we still live in sin. Uh, we still are kind of bound to this world, right? Like we're shackled by it. We're still, we still have original sin and human nature that is just naturally intrinsically rebellious. However, we now have this huge privilege and benefit 
of being able to access God directly through prayer. And like, we'll definitely talk about prayer again. We've definitely already talked about prayer a lot. But what a huge like privilege that is to have Jesus come and then when he was taken back into heaven, leave behind the Holy Spirit for us and the ability to access God through prayer without a mediator. Like we can just pray and then talk to God directly. Like not everybody in history had that opportunity, right? Throughout the Bible. So when Jesus came to earth, he changed a lot of things. And then even more than that, he resurrected, which is just a huge, you know, a a declaration of his victory over death and over sin, because he is still sovereign over all of that, right? He's still a demonstration of his power and uh, for God's glory. Like, yes, Jesus died because he loves us, as we have mentioned, but Jesus also died because God is good, like just to glorify God, period, as a demonstration of that power and of that triumphant victory over everything that humans over all of the ages have never been able to overcome. But Jesus has. Why? Because he's 100% human, but also 100% divine. And so Jesus really is the only one who could do that. And just for context, I know you mentioned the veil. So when Emily says the veil in the Old Testament, the only people who had direct access to God were the high priests in the temple. So the veil served as a barrier preventing people from entering into the Holy of Holies and only the high priests were allowed to go in. And if anyone dared to go, they would literally die. So when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was literally torn in the temple. And that signified that we no longer had this barrier between us and God and that we could approach God directly. So that's uh, it kind of helps illustrate Jesus's death, kind of bridging the gap there um, that sin had created between man and God. And also to your other point uh, in the sacrifices, I, again, just for context and for clarity, in the Old Testament, when they were told to sacrifice animals, it was the best of the best. Otherwise, it's not sacrifice. Right, sacrifice right. means to give up something. Yeah, you're not going to give Otherwise, away the not. least of your possessions. Because yeah. what is that? That's not a sacrifice. Yeah, that's exactly. true. So again, you can go back to Cain and Abel. That's a very easy example there. But giving your best uh, as an offering. So that's that's the price that they had to pay. So a lot of this right now is kind of like factual, biblical knowledge. So, you know, historical knowledge doesn't really mean much in, unless we submit ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And salvation is free for those who choose to accept him. So that leads to the fifth point. Wow, I'm on a roll with the segues today. Oh my gosh, you should just you should just uh, moderate every single episode from now on. No, no, no. This is a team effort. I would never... <laughs> Diminish your role, Emily. Come he is on. carrying this podcast episode today, folks. Only because you asked me, Emily. <laughs> I did. <laughs> before we press record. I definitely did. <laughs> so, second coming is our last point. And what do we mean by that? Well, Jesus does promise that he will come again. And that is the good news for us Christians who do believe in when that time does come, uh, Jesus will come again not this time not to free us from sin but to judge us accordingly and to, for those who do remain faithful to him we will 
in turn experience the new heaven and new earth. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 puts it nicely. This is the last verse, I promise. No more verse reading. But it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So as Christians, this is the hope that we have. That no matter how bad it gets in our circumstance, we know that God is not of this world. The devil is like Satan rules this earth. And right now, the longer this goes on, like, I don't have to tell you that nowadays, if you ask anybody how they think about the world, it's usually going to be something negative. Very rarely will you get something positive out of somebody who has just a general view of worldly issues and what's going on. So despite all of that, like we have this hope and how should we react as Christians? Like we should stay vigilant and be ready because we don't know when the time or the hour or the day will be. So Matthew 24 highlights that for us. And I, and there are many, many parables that teaches on, you know, how we prepare for the second coming for the eventual uh, return of God and or return of Jesus. And I think one that does stand out, for instance, is Matthew 25, when he talks about the 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom with the lamps. So when the time comes, you don't want to be the five who just have the lamps and not the oil. Instead, you want to be the one with the oil in the lamp because the oil represents salvation. And the other thing is you can't share the oil with anybody. Like this is your own decision that you have to make. Like you can't just say, ah, you know, well, my family goes to church. So, you know, some of that salvation is going to rub off on me. So yeah, I'll be fine. Or like, oh, I live in a household that's like Christian. Like, oh, I was born. That's not how salvation works. So it's kind of daunting to somebody who may not know the gospel or maybe they've heard but they haven't received christ and they don't have a personal relationship with him and and that's why there's so much emphasis on evangelism but it's very much good news to those who have accepted jesus as their savior because we recognize that we are fallen beings in need of saving from a lord who is all merciful and demonstrates his saving grace upon us so that we can now live this life transformed and renewed and with a purpose and on top of that we have eternity to look forward to we have the second coming to look forward to for the day that we come face to face with god though the purpose of us receiving christ is not just so we can attain heaven and eternal life otherwise we'd just be believing in god out of our own personal gain and our fear of hell which is the other alternative and that's not the sign of a true transformed and renewed individual the purpose behind true christianity is that we get christ today and he is enough to sustain us through this life on earth in that sense the second coming is a really great comfort then to christians because it's you know the fulfillment of all of god's promises and the time when we can be fully fully reconciled to him again and not just have to live in that in-between time and space between Jesus's first and his second coming. But even while we're still here, Jesus doesn't leave us alone, right? So as Jesus was going back to heaven after his, uh, after his resurrection, he leaves behind the Holy Spirit as a guide, right? As an assistant to help us discern right from wrong, to lead us to truth, 
to equip us for uh, good works and how to live in community with with one another, right? Like he leaves us so many things. He, he left us the word to teach us how to live together as Christians and how to deal with different situations. So while Jesus went back into heaven after his resurrection, he didn't leave us alone to kind of figure it out for ourselves, like figure out for yourself how to get fully reconciled with God again. No, he says, I'm going to do all of the work for now. You just have to be obedient and follow my commands and, you know, live in harmony together as Christians. Um, so it, it for a Christian, it's like, though we still struggle every single day with sin and we still fall short probably every single day as well, but it's a great comfort to know that there is a future hope, there is a second coming, and that we are, we're well equipped to handle life until that day. And then for the non-Christian, I hope that people can see why we consider this good news because we start off with this desperate situation that all of mankind is in and that for us by ourselves, we have no way of reconciliation. We have no way of getting out of it, but we don't have to. Like We don't have to do it on our own. Jesus and God has made a way for us, but we what people have to understand is that this is the only way. And it doesn't, as as you said, it doesn't transfer through osmosis to our families or stuff. Like our salvation is our own, but we have to be born again. We have to let ourselves be born again. Um, and we have to submit ourselves to Jesus and let Jesus become the ultimate ruler of our lives and of our heart. We have to have that, you know, transformation first in order to really be able to understand like, why Christians have hope in the future, why Christians feel like they have a purpose in life. And that is at once the easiest thing to do, but also the hardest thing to do sometimes. So yeah, I mean, that's what I'll end my point off with. And hopefully like anybody hearing this, like just understand and know that the pressure is off. Like there is no pressure to reconcile ourselves with God, you know, but it's as easy as making that decision for yourself and for Christ at the end of the day, really. And perhaps you're listening to this and hopefully it challenges you also. Um, wherever you are in your walk of faith, I think. Just going back to that parable, I just want to reiterate, like, don't be the person who shows up with just the lamp when the time comes. You may think, yeah, I'll be fine. Oh, I always got the next day. <laughs> I'll be a you Christian know. when I'm old. <laughs> yeah, on my deathbed, I'll just say, sorry, God. But like, not even tomorrow is guaranteed, you know? Like, we, we it's not guaranteed that we'll wake up in the morning. Like, for real, you know? That's the truth of it. So we hope that your takeaway is, um, for those who believe, we hope that, you know, this, I guess, reassures and reaffirms your definition of the gospel and if you are a non-believer then i hope that at least this raises some curiosity on your mind and hopefully it would encourage you to think a little bit about um, not just you know our purpose in life or why we do certain things or good and evil whatever it is um, of course we'll be praying and for those who are on the fence i know right in the middle where 
you're like, you know, I've been attending church, but I have doubts about my salvation or am I really saved? Am I doing this right? If you have those doubts, I uh, just pray that you guys will not be distracted by by the devil implanting, implanting these doubts in your head um, and just really fully submit to God and um, stay the course, stay faithful. Like, I mean, we all have doubts. I have doubts. Emily has doubts. Danny has doubts. You know, we all have doubts over time. And, you know, at the end of the day, we've said this before, but questioning your faith is good at times. In a way, it is a sign of maturity. And there are always answers. So reach out to your peers, reach out to one of us. But do not let your faith and your trust in God be wavered by these minute doubts and, you know, overthinking in your head. But that's pretty much it. That is the gospel in a nutshell. So just to reiterate the five points, creation, fall of mankind, life of Jesus, death and resurrection, and the second coming. Wow, so we survived a oh podcast without Danny. Look at that. Maybe... We, I, no. <laughs> reflecting back on this episode, I think we stayed on course. And I think it's because like... Danny wasn't here. Oh. <laughs> just kidding, Ouch. Danny. We're just kidding, Danny. We hope to <laughs> have you next week. We, need we you miss you. We actually we need you. you. <laughs> well, that was mean, Emily. I'm just <laughs> I did kidding. not expect that yeah. one. I'm, I'm going to leave that in. Um, <laughs> that wraps it up for us. And hopefully next week we'll follow up with a topic very similar to follow up on this topic of the gospel. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Wait, how can they contact us, Enoch? Oh, that's right. So <laughs> uh, if you have any questions uh, or concerns or inquiries, you can email the LBCM podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for a reminder, Emily. I always forget. Seven episodes in. Seven episodes in. <laughs> That being said, can we wrap up now? Yes. We're good? Okay. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.